welcome to episode 9 of the Wham Wednesday podcast series. I'm Bill Yates from the Wham Summit, and this week we want to talk about the dark side of SD1. Well, maybe dark side is a bit of an exaggeration, but anyone who has been at the sharp end of an SD1 rollout knows there can be quite a few bumps in the road. Now, to talk about these hidden challenges, we've invited someone who knows as well as anybody about what the reality of an SD1 rollout can be. He's Senior Enterprise Architect for Networking and Security Infrastructure for the consultancy giant McKinsey. And he's somebody who I've recently discovered has quite literally written the book on enterprise networking back in the year 2000. You can still pick up Understanding the Network on the Amazon Bookstore. So we'd like to give a big welcome to Michael Martin. Welcome to One Wednesdays, Michael. Hi. Hey, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to it. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, so do you want to, in your own words, go over what your position is at McKinsey and what you look after on the day-to-day? So for the last uh, almost 20 years, I've basically been responsible for um, architecting um, and driving the network engineering team that basically supports the network for uh, the, the firm. Um, it's a global network. We have, uh, you know, about 100 and 50 locations globally, and we have uh, a really interesting, diverse breakup of users where half of our population is literally remote, so they're constantly basically coming in through remote access models, and then we also have a very large um, global network that ties in multiple data centers and then and then supports cloud connectivity. Um, we were very, very early adopters of, of the, you know, the grandfather of SD-WAN, which was um, IPsec VPNs and building overlay network VPNs for years. So we were sort of at the the birth of this whole sort of new SD-WAN revolution that we we. So I typically, people will ask me about it. I said, you know, SD-WAN is a one way of looking at it is this sort of intelligent rebranding of a very basic fundamental model of IPsec um, where it's not as hard. But then as it's turning out, that's not really true either. So... You know, I guess that's the topic of the conversation today. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's a pretty successful rebrand then in that case if a whole new industry has been created out of out of SD WAN. So what are the what are the fundamental differences between the two? Well, I mean, you know, the funny thing is is that IPsec um, originally when it was evolving started out really as just a a series of protocols and what ended up happening was that most firewall vendors and router and switching vendors were basically um, building out their own custom versions. So there wasn't a lot of interoperability. And because it's an IP protocol, um, it doesn't have any of the constraints that, say, SSL VPNs do that are, are, are really latency sensitive. So there's some big advantages to it. But the downsides are was that very early on, it needed a lot of um, custom hardware to really do high speed or high acceleration um, that those problems have long been since retired, and of course, because it's an open set of, of standards, and and basically now there are standards for basically doing interoperability. The value of basically moving it to something just on a standard Linux kernel made it very very attractive for a rebranding. Where the problem with IPsec is like with any other network technology is. Well, if I already have to manage this gigantic network anyway that's at a physical layer, when I start adding all these virtual overlays on it, it gets even more complicated, which, again, is the value prop around SD-WAN is I have this this um, mechanism that's sort of built and builds self-serve automation and integration into it. But then again, like any virtual overlay, it's disconnected from 
that underpinning, right? So you now have this sort of dual space that you need to operate in. And, and that's typically where people start to see um, some of the challenges. Uh, they see I can add, uh, I can add uh, internet connectivity to my, you know, network portfolio and I can really make maximum use of this with a lots of interesting application layer sort of delivery tricks that have been integrated into the platforms. Um, and by that, I mean things along lines like forward error control and, and different encoding schemes. And a lot of these are technologies that most of us have used, see, have been seeing for years, largely in things like um, direct uh, streaming video, online gaming, right? It really just was a matter of time before people just started to take these other sorts of approaches and then integrate them into one solution. You mentioned that um, one of the challenges that the enterprises have found when they're moving towards SD-WAN and previously with IPsec was managing a huge amount of different hardware and, and adding extra software on top of that. Does that translate to now with SD-WAN and seeing the enterprise network managers are, are now having to improve their vendor management capabilities if they're moving from a service which was previously supplied by a carrier and now they're kind of cherry-picking suppliers themselves? Is that causing a skill set gap or is there other challenges that are faced there? To a certain extent, because again, initially, you, if you were a traditional enterprise, well, you know, I had an MPLS network, right, which had a, had a, which delivered a very specific set of services. There were limitations with that, but, but basically they met the challenge. Where they became very expensive is that you had a very, very large network footprint and you were now trying to integrate in this, this, um, very specific, um, optimized connectivity to meet specific needs. What SD-WAN really threw onto the table was, well, we're going to be able to give you effectively MPLS quality delivery, right? You know, sometimes uh, not so great networks because we can use um, these different types of encoding techniques to basically make the products really behave the same way as they were if you were on a regular point-to-point connection. And then at the same time, you had just this sort of um, convergence of now my use cases are completely different. Now I need to go to cloud. Now I need to be able to provide, like if I'm a retailer, I have to be able to provide, you know, an internet experience, right? My point of sale is now using this. I have all these IoT things. I have all these brand new network challenges that all need to have these custom, um, we'll just say overlays designed for them to basically allow them to be secure and allow them to have service uh, delivery um, functionality added to them, prioritization or QoS or whatever you and these things all are very hard to do without an orchestration platform. Well, that's where, again, SD-WAN has, has a great value is, well, we're going to give you that orchestration platform. Now, again, and this is the thing that I've really been seeing um, <clears throat> for the last year and a half that's really made me even more pro-SD-WAN, is that now the changes are, is that we're just starting to see with things like SD-WAN as a service, now carriers... Um, and, and solution providers are actually melding, you know, the necessary control between that SD-WAN product and the underlay network, right? Now, the alternative, right, was that if you were a large enterprise or a global, that you would build your own. And that now became a challenge because on one hand, you're saying, well, there's this great value prop about just going SD-WAN. But on the other side, it's like, but I still need this network. And by the way, I still have to manage it and run it. And it's going to be more complicated because now 
Whereas I used to just have this MPLS network. Now I have this large global internet footprint, right? That I need to basically manage. So now what happens is the challenge for most organizations is that it's not just a change in network delivery. It's a change in how my business has to operate. That's often a lot easier said than done to bring about cultural change in an organization, I suppose. Um, is this something you've seen firsthand at McKinsey or um, have you, has your kind of early adoptingness, if that's a word, made that transition a bit smoother? Well, they were like initially when we were when we were basically um, suggesting making these changes. Initially, everyone was like, wow, that's going to be really hard to do. And it was because now it changed the entire mindset of how you basically had to buy products. So, for example, if you wanted to use, um, you know, specific security products to inspect traffic or whatever, the model was, yeah. So we understand that most companies, they only have like two or three points, right? But now, you know, we've got you know, thousands, right? And that's where the big change is. So what happens is, is that if you've got a business, right, that has largely um, been driving their security and their traffic inspection and all their models around using these consolidated central points, and now you've added all of these distributed egress points, now you have to make some decisions, right? And the nice thing is, again, the cloud really come in and added real new value here, which is now you're having things like Security Edge. Um, there are products, you know, like uh, from a lot of vendors that basically will go and do the inspection for you. And then the, and they also integrate into the platforms themselves. So assuming that you're able to sort of plot out what the problems are that your organization is trying to solve, and then figure out what those workflows and life cycles work like, then an SD-WAN um, transition is relatively easy. If you go into it as, well, we want to save some money and it's a cost savings and we're going to change, but haven't really thought through all of these new operational problems, you now find yourself in a really big pickle because now you're like, I don't know how to wait. We're not really saving money and now it's far more complicated and and we're we're struggling. So that's where, again, you know, bringing in um, – you know, external uh, people or working with the vendor, you know, or even looking at it as a service is has a value because they can at least come to the table with all of the experiences uh, from that they've had with their other customers and and with building out the products themselves. You know, one of the very, very early things with migrating to IPsec was was that MTU sizes changed and it caused tons of problems with trying to get applications to work correctly. Right. This is something that people really never saw. Like we would have we got reports back from this. And it was this kind of thing where even though we told people, right, and the engineers that were deploying that they had to make these changes, this wasn't something that they had ever experienced before. So it took them a while to discover it and detect it. And so and these are the kind of things that have all been long ago lost, you know, with these kind of new packaged products. But these are the kind of challenges that people run into when they're trying to do stuff that they just are like, we've never seen that before and we don't know how to make it work and who do we go to? Well, there's not a great deal we can do about that to foresee it, really. Um, you mentioned interoperability just there and a, a bit before. Um, what's your opinion on on where standardization is going in the SD-WAN market? And is this being affected by any of the MA, M&A activity we're currently seeing? 
So I think in the end, what we started off with, right, was a was a one or two real early adopter driver players, right? And these guys really have, were very thoughtful about how they approached it in terms of uh, understanding that that real difference between, you know, that we all remember that from computer school, the, the model. It's like we have to have a control player and a management plane and all the, you know, the big thing that makes SD-WAN work is the fact that it has this out-of-band control plane, and that basically allows the network to be adaptive and responsive. So that, you know, theme is not new. This is something that, you know, exists in all networks in a lot of ways that, that we as consumers don't necessarily see, but you, but the carrier networks and all that operate in these models. So, the fact that there are now what I've been noticing is that there's a lot of conferences that would have originally been for carriers or for enterprises have now merged because now it's a very common um, set of tools and a framework that goes with that. So the consolidation, I think, is more a question of is that while SD-WAN is a, as a platform, right, it also is a, it can also be seen as a feature in a lot of other or as a complement to a larger cloud migration strategy, right? And that's where the standardization is really driving that is, is it would have been you before, you'd be like, well, how am I going to connect the cloud or how am I going to do this? Now, you know, SD-WAN, it's an answer. It's like, oh, it's very easy. It's virtualized because that's the trick. Now that we're moving to away from hardware-driven stuff, we don't necessarily get the scale and performance so we need to move to a model that's more distributed and and more um, horizontal rather than vertical. So that's a big change for networkers too. But it also makes it um, possible to really have this very large scale that you get with that kind of sort of segmenting up of, of the connectivity model that you really can't do manually. You have to really have an automation platform to do that. So that's the real strength. So I see this consolidation and these realignments is more about you know, vendors seeing that SD-WAN is a key part of an overall product offering portfolio. So I think what we will see with the standardization eventually is there'll be just cross-platform interoperability, right? You'll, it won't matter what your platform is, you know, they'll all work. Where you'll see the difference is in features, right? Because some platforms are basically you know, they have a high, a heavy emphasis on, on the automation and the integration and with a basic sort of traffic model. Others are very oriented towards providing very granular and user-centric type prioritization. And then others um, are sort of just trying to basically give you um, very dynamic connectivity, right, in a very easy format. So they all have their own little specialty niches that all tend to integrate with other services. Um, you know, so there's choice there, but you have to be mindful that as we begin to go towards this converged model, some of that special functionality that you're getting from that product that you pick, you may not necessarily get everywhere. Um, so we've covered quite a few challenges here. So there's some which might be, which could be foreseen, some that couldn't. Um, are there any other specific problems or difficulties that an enterprise network manager might come across that really does hit them out of the blue? Anything totally unexpected where you you starting your deployment, it's not been in your pilot phase, it's not been in your um, in your proposal, and then there's, there's something that can hit hit a company and they'll be like, "Wow, I was not expecting that whatsoever." 
I think that the biggest challenge that most people don't really see coming is that when you move to a virtualized space and you move to this kind of model, your mind shift has to change in terms of how you benchmark and how you monitor. Because now, even if you're just using a standard simple like SD-WAN over like a split MPLS and internet space, right? Well, now you have two completely different monitoring paradigms you have to do. Now, the product, right, has its own monitoring built into it, so it sort of is able to be responsive to that. But if you're starting to have real performance issues, now what a lot of uh, people feel is is that they're sort of stuck. Well, I want more visibility or I want less visibility. And the amount of visibility that a, that a provider, you know, can give you if you're using a, a SDU, you know, WAS, or a standalone um, vendor, there's a lot of development that has to go into that. So, you know, it's always a fine line, you know, how much am I going to, how much visibility do I give the consumer and how do I make it possible for them to also figure out how they're going to build models to show the value back to the business? Like, how did I really save money? How did I change, right? Maybe the money that you thought you were going to save by changing your carrier um, transport you saved because you have better business agility and more adaptability. So that's the thing I think a lot of people don't see is what starts off maybe as a, as a technology shift or as a cost-cutting shift. Um, really, it turns out being something completely different. And the key to being able to have that be successful is to have um, a monitoring and, um, and benchmarking and visualization model that shows these different values to the business as well as to the end user experience. So how's the, what are the practical steps that are needed to do that then? And is there, is this something that comes completely from the ground up to the, to the C-suite or whoever's being reported to, or is there some sort of pressure coming down on network managers to come up with this monitoring? Well, I think it, it, I think it comes from both ways. I mean, the first thing is, is that it really, you know, again, if you've got a global network, and and your business is dependent upon that global network, you probably already know what are the key, you know, business drivers for why you have that network and how you measure them in terms of performance or availability. You know, but most people still think of networking in the context, right, of of bandwidth, 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 um, you know. But in the end, it's not really about bandwidth. Networking is much more now about transactional processing and dealing with things like latency and jitter. So now you've got this fine line that you have to basically work through, which is how do I basically optimize my delivery performance so that I have um, can meet the, um, the delivery requirements I have, things like 4K video, streaming, um, whatever, which really requires a, a certain amount of bandwidth to be sustained at a very steady stream and is going to be very impacted by latency. So now my question is, is that if I have to retain um, visibility, I have to be very selective in how to do that. So as you're thinking about these things, these are how you translate these back into benchmarks. Like, well, these are the things that we are really critical to us. Here's how we're going to measure them. And then this is how we're going to evaluate whether we're being successful or not. Um, but you do have to be able to think of a context to show this, right? I mean, because that simple model of, well, I'm going to reduce costs doesn't necessarily always translate because, you know, I'll give you an example. If I just basically build a network with two paths, right, an internet and an MPLS network, well, you know what, that's not that much. But now let's say I build a network with five paths. 
I've got two ISP connectors. I have a 5G, you know, or a citizen band broadband connection or and my MPLS network. Now, the technology will allow you to basically choose how to prioritize traffic and build those routing paths. But I just added an enormous amount of complexity to my environment, right? And I have to be able to show why was it worth doing, right? And even if you reduce the cost, the technical debt that you just inherited, right, or just created is even worse. So that's the trick is figuring out how to translate these investments that you're doing in technology to a business value or to a user experience value that you can show that you're, you know, adding value to the business through these kind of investments. Well, sounds pretty simple when you put it like that. Um, this is um, almost a, a traditional question on Wine Wednesdays now. Um, how are McKinsey, how are you COVID proofing? I, I think we've, we've weathered pretty well. Um, I, I will say that I've, I've heard some really unfortunate stories with a lot of other companies that just didn't have a business model that really considered remote access um, as a key service piece of that. And, and I think that what will be so interesting about um, as an outcome of this in terms of networking, right, is that I think that this is now going to push things along strategy levels that um, myself and others have been trying to advocate for years around intent-based networking and the ability to negotiate service level delivery at the peer or client level rather than just trying to do it at a, at a location or a node level. Yeah, well, there's nothing like a, a crisis to accelerate a, yeah, exactly. a transformation and get things moving. <laughs> so um, exactly. the, the, the final question is the, is the weird Wan Wednesday question. We ask it every week, and it's usually pretty varied. So when you have to, when the time comes, what's your go-to dance move? Oh, God, my go-to dance move. I think it would probably be a jig. You know, okay. I think that I think that when when the day comes that they say well we've had the vaccine and we all can go back to you know what we do, I will definitely be doing a jig. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, the same. I'll be getting getting that lawnmower out. That that would be mine. That only comes out on a really special occasion. So um, thanks very much for your time today, Michael. We've come to the end of the episode today. Thanks for sharing your viewpoints on the. Uh, on the hidden challenges that can await people when, S- when it comes to rolling out an SD1. It's been really good to hear from you. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for having me. Take care.